and welcome to Lily High on Life. Our very special guest today is Sarah O'Dell. Sarah, welcome to Lily High on Life. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I just love your attitude and your go-gettedness and the fact that nothing stops you or phases you. So I was excited to have you on my show and share you with my listeners. Well, thank you. So, Sarah, tell me a little bit about what's going on in your life now. You've retired, your husband's retired, but you don't live a sedentary, retired-type life. What is your life at the moment? Well, my husband and I like to do different things, of course. He's a man that was a forensic physician and head of forensic medicine, retired now, and he plays golf. He has meetings with his friends to play um, crosswords, and he builds clocks, he belongs to a clock club, he belongs to the Savage Club, he gives lectures there. How on earth did he find all of those things to do? Like when men retire, they're not usually that creative about what they're going to do with their time. Well, he started off when I met him at electrical engineering at Melbourne University. I was at RMIT studying accounting. He was doing um, engineering, majoring in power and he was a friend of my brother's. So he had the engineering background of wanting to build things and invent things. And from there on, um, we got married, had two children, and he decided to do medicine, where I then went into his father's lingerie sportswear factory and literally worked while he was full-time medicine, having two little kids. So we just went from one thing to the other. And when he finished medicine, I gave up the business to be with my two little girls to spend more time with them. And then I needed a bit of an outlet, so I went to adult education. I studied um, design for a little while. Then I thought interior decorating was more quick, was quicker to get to do stuff. And um, we just went from one thing to another. And so it was, you, you were a good girl. You helped your husband and you helped support the family yes. while he was studying and then found things that you were interested in yourself. Well, I waited till I put the girls into high school. I wanted to be there for all their homework and do everything. I also went, actually worked for a year and a bit at Rose Office Furniture with my girlfriend Judy oh. while, at, while uh, the girls were at school to make sure I could be home for when they came home from school. So I, I dabbled a bit just to, uh, here and there. So uh, let, let's just go back to the kids for a minute because for us it's normal, but in today's world, this being home for the kids and being making sure that you're around for the kids is not necessarily that normal. So talk about what it was like and, and your decision oh, to do that. Well, you have to remember that when Morris did medicine, my, I had a five or seven-year-old and a three-year-old So he finished engineering but didn't want to yeah. go into it? No, his father got sick. So I went into the business while his father... I drove him to work and then his father was teaching me the business. Right. And then when his father passed away and... Um, my husband didn't want to go into the business. So he thought, well, what can I do now? There's no work as a power engineer in Melbourne. My brother did electrical engineering, went to do a commerce degree because you couldn't get work. They were phasing out, you know. Right. 
But it wasn't that um, for, for the woman to go into the family business at that time. Was that a little bit unusual? or Well, I loved it. I went with my father-in-law and I just had a passion for fashion. I thought, this is great. I actually brought in um, T-shirts, which he was doing mainly lingerie, and he was doing dressing gowns, 90s, petticoats, undies, and I wanted to bring in um, T-shirts, and I did. I brought in T-shirts, caftans, so Chinese quilted jackets with the wooden buttons. Sounds like fun. It was fun. So you came out of school and he trained you to do that? Yes, yes. So you, you'd finished school, you'd uh, gotten married, which uh, was... Well, I went to RMIT while my brother was at uh, Melbourne Uni with Morris, and I met Morris, my husband, at home. He was a friend of my brother David's. So it all just went, it just went from one thing to the other. So you got thrown into business? Yeah. My father-in-law saw that I was interested, and his two sons weren't. So I was happy to go with him. It was fantastic. So when you started having your kids, uh, they came to work with you? or I took the little one with me to work, and I, Zoe was at South Caulfield Round Scopers, and well, I used to go and pick her up, bring her home to the mothers, and then went back to East Brunswick again. Oh, so, and so brought, then brought the little one back to the mothers. So most of the day, I had an Italian lady walk her in the... I had a pram... Mm -hmm. that she could sleep in and I used to get one of the women to walk her around and I had food, bought everyday food for her. And did you have to travel for business or it was... Because oh, we didn't have the internet then. Well, How did you manage? Well, we had buyers would come to the factory. Uh, we set up to captains and shirts in Thomastown. So that was from East Brunswick to Thomastown. I would see people there or see people in Brunswick. I did what I had to do. Like I mm. said, I had a woman to look after her so she wouldn't be disturbed from her sleep, Amy, because she was little. So you weren't doing the manufacturing, you were buying and no, reselling? No, we weren't manufacturing. We actually quilted our own dressing gowns. We had, we had oh. a quilting factory downstairs to do the quilted dressing gowns. We had cutting rooms. We actually made it, but my job was to go out and look for designs and change it with the designer. So my father-in-law incentive to me was go find something and then we'll just change it so we could copy it <laughs> so and we then, did and then what happened with the with the business because you're not in it now no um well it became a bit hard with quotas because we had a factory in taiwan as well and it was it got hard traveling backwards and forwards and once my husband set his sights on medicine we thought we'll take it easy and see what happens and we'll phase it out and then we just sold it off. Oh. And then I, that's why I wanted to stay with the kids. I felt I missed a lot and thought, well, now that they're older, they understand more, I want to make sure that I'm there. Well, that Got was it. a choice I made. You know? Yes. And, um, and nobody made you feel guilty about that choice. You actually did work and were, were a working mother. Yeah. But the prioritising the kids and being able to stay with them was something that you didn't feel guilty about No, it was after. my pleasure. I had fun with them. They were like toys. <laughs> they were little toys to me to dress up and play with and teach them to sing and dance and just do all that. It was just And wonderful. now? I am the luckiest mother <laughs> on earth. They are the warmest, kindest, and um, I see them practically every day. And they've got their own kids and, now. Well, one's got three. 
and the other one just they both live five minutes away from me. Mm. So you had your you did have your own ambitions when you were younger that you weren't able to follow. But what I loved was that as soon as the kids were out of the house and after you'd done this business stuff and everything else which you took on one with a passion and with and with joy because that's what life is all about is doing what you love but talk about your singing because that was something that you oh. how old were you when you started singing well I was at primary school. Every audition, I was in every play, every singing part I would audition for. I came from a family that sang. I had my brother Zev with his guitar, always strumming and singing rock and roll. Elvis Presley was always in the house. Then they would harmonise. My father was a cousin in Shul. So he'd come back from Shul and my brother Zev and Ted and myself and my brother David would harmonise to the Hasidic songs. They knew the words, I just made them up. But um, so the house was always full of music. So high school, I sang with the school band. You know, I got into uh, audition and I, and I was accepted to do the school dances and I popped up and I, again, theatre, singing, everything I could get into. That was my love. I wasn't allowed to do it. My mother said I had to study, get a degree and uh, get married. <laughs> that was what I had to do. So you wanted to take lessons and you couldn't take lessons either? Well, we either. couldn't afford it. My mm. mother was left with six children. When my father died, I was eight. And was there a way you could have uh, worked professionally during or after school? No, I wasn't allowed. And I was a good girl. I listened to my three brothers, especially my two older brothers, took over and I had to study. Tell me a little bit about the, you weren't allowed and yet it was a passion and so you did the right thing. Only because I didn't want to cause my mother extra pain. My mother was very much, get a degree, you'll get married, you might need that degree if you get divorced to fall back on. So in her eyes, it was all of us had to get a degree. The only thing the Germans couldn't take away from us was our brains. So she was, after experiencing all the losses in her life, she wanted all of us to study. That concept of you coming second and not first is quite unusual today because today kids are taught that they come first and not their parents. My mother always came first to me. My brothers who took over my dad's job came first to me. I, I absolutely adored them, I can't tell you. They were wonderful, they were always there for me. I was the little sister that they looked after and I didn't feel denied. I, I just was, my nature was I rolled with the flow. I got married Which young. Which is a great way to get along yeah. with everyone in life. And I married young and then I did what I had to do. And then when the girls were in high school and on their way, I started going out to karaoke. With I met an Australian famous singer, Victoria Broughton, who was in Johnny Young Talent School, Swallows Junior, and we clicked as soon as we met at karaoke because she gave up singing on stage and television. And we just used to go 
all the time. So that went while the kids were at high school, got them into uni, so we went out to more nights singing. And from there, I progressed to singing with bands in blues bars. So you, you kind of kept it up, but let's just go back for a bit because this concept of it's not that you were missing, you, did, you never felt you were denying yourself, but your relationship within the family with your brothers and with your mothers was such that the love and respect that you had for them didn't upset you it didn't upset you or make you angry or anything you accepted yeah. because that's just pure it was from pure love not from selfishness but from love of something greater and the relationships that you had yeah well they gave up a lot too they gave up to look after a mother and small children and they worked and put everything in so we could get educated because that was important to them so we all gave. We were givers. Yes. And we looked after our mother. So you were saying your dad died when you were only eight years old. Yes, and he was sick for four years before that. We came from Israel when I was four, and those four years he was in and out of hospital. So it was a hard time for my mum. And we all pulled together. No one left home like now. No one left the house until we got married. That's the way it was. And just, you know, one of the things I often say with Lily High on Life is it's not what happens to you in life, it's how you choose to deal with it. And it sounds like the, even though it may have been very difficult physically, financially, emotionally to lose somebody that you love that much, it was more the focus on staying together and and continuing that loving relationship with the people you had rather than being angry he was gone or being upset or complaining about any hardships. No, we had a happy household. My two older sisters had children and would come on the weekends and we'd all share take apart beds to make room for them to sleep over the weekend. We pulled together as a family, so we felt strong. We missed Dad, and they must have missed him more than I did because I was only little. And But the love for each other and, and everyone was kissing and hugging. I didn't feel I missed Dad. I was very loved by, by the family, and we all loved each other. And the respect from going from the eldest to the youngest we all had our part to play and no one was upset or angry. We just wanted to make mum happy. We just wanted her life to be easier. I love that concept of a, a happy household. And I have to tell you, that's one of the things that really drew me to you when I first met you because it's it radiates from you. It's about not looking... It's just about feeling good and that when that's your focus... Yes. That's yeah, you've what got a happens. choice. You can be miserable. I chose to look at the good things that I had in my life, like my three brothers, my two sisters, my amazing warm mother. Absolutely amazing. And then I had little nephews and nieces that, you know, were close to my age. And, uh, you know, it was happy, you know. And the house so was a happy singing, singing happy house. How many of you were there? Six children. My mother lost three boys in the war, 
So she, I was her number nine, the youngest number nine. But um, we were always together, always. So, yeah, it really sounds idyllic. Now, everybody, people are different. People are all different. Yeah. And you grew up in this house with all these siblings. Do they all, do you all have your attitude? No. No, I have to be honest. Of course. I have to be I, honest. I, that's no. why I've got you on the yeah. show. You have no. to be honest. Yeah. They, because no, how they, is it? Yes. Well, I grew up with two, I suppose. They were adorable. My brother Ted and my brother Zed were a bit male chauvinists, just a little bit. But they were adorable and warm and caring. So you overlooked. And I knew as a, there was such an age difference that I knew their thinking was not my thinking. But they were so good to me and so kind and to my mum and just as in the household that I forgave them the way they... So You looked for the things that you liked. liked in them. And not. there was a lot to love in them. There was a lot to love. You know, out of... I looked at out of um, 100%, 80% was wonderful. And the male show is, well, that was their age. They grew up with being the boss. But I didn't mind. They did a great job. And I felt safe. When I lost my father, I felt, I didn't feel safe. Mm. But my two brothers came to the rescue, always cuddling and kissing and what do you need? What, you know, and the th same thing for my brother David. You know, just adorable. With He loved the boys and the girls got married so they had their own families. But I grew up with the three brothers and couldn't have had a happier life. So without being too politically correct, because I understand you're not <laughs> going to tell me anyway, but at the question, did they create, I know you created that kind of a household as well, but did they create that, duplicate that kind of happy home, happy household with their own families as well? Not quite, no, not Cause, quite. Because they were bringing it's, in other people also. Because you always have to, when you've got a partner, one, my brother Zev got divorced and unfortunately the only one out of six children, not bad. Mm. But it wasn't the way he was at home. Pressures of afterwards, you know, coping with another family, coping with the in-laws and stuff, didn't flow the way he, the way our family flowed. But we always stayed close with mm. him. And my brother Ted raised three wonderful children and um, stayed at the, the head of the family from all of us. We always would run. Even my two daughters, when I was overseas and something happened, they threw little pebbles in his window and went, <laughs> ran to Uncle Ted in the middle of the night, you know, for help. This is the way it was. We all relied, pulled together. Pulled together. And in those days, there was really a time where divorce was not the thing to do, no it matter what. Very hard. Yeah. And so you all saw him through that. and We all try to help him as much as we and could. And in retrospect, sometimes it's a really good thing because it's the experiences you have that prepare you for what's yeah. going to come next in your life. Yeah, that's true. I saw things as I was growing up, hardships, hardships in relationships, you know, a divorce. You know, it was all things I had to deal with. I loved my ex-sister-in-law. I loved her. It was like so hard for me too, but she put conditions not to see my brother, to be friends with her. 
And uh, you can't do that. People don't realise. People are their own worst enemies. Nobody can do things to you that are worse than what you do to yourself. Well, she lost us because she put conditions. I don't want you to see your brother. And I said, he raised me. How can I not see him? I love him. Mm. There's no way. I said, I'm sorry, but there's no way. So I'm I'm assuming that was many, many, many years ago. That was many, many years ago. She's passed away. My brother's passed away. My middle brother, Zed, died about 12 years ago. My brother, Ted, died two years ago. Each loss took a part of my heart. So who is left from your... Just my brother David and my two older sisters. And it's a... um, it's You go through these things, they make you wiser, they make you more appreciative, and but it's it's part of the story of life. And you realise what you've lost, your best friends, you know. It's and hard. what's most important today as well, and and what things... So what do you, what do you see as being most important for you as you go through your days and you meet people and you have relationships and... Well... For me, it's, to be honest, I like to be surrounded by my brother and family, my sister-in-laws and family, my kids especially. I see them, I'm allowed to come every day. (laughs) I'm not thrown out (laughs) to see my granddaughters. I have a wonderful relationship with them, with singing and, you know, dancing. I think they've got the love of dancing too. My eldest granddaughter dances since the age of three. And she's been in concerts and... How old is she now? Lila's 14. And wow. she's kept up dancing from the age of three. And she used to sing, but she gave it up for dancing. But she still does a little bit at school. My middle granddaughter, Ellie, loves to sing and sends me videos of herself singing. What do you think, Booba? I'm Booba. What do you think? <laughs> is that any good? And she's done shows with me for... Um, for Wizzo. So She's it really is in so the family. It is in the family. I bring them in. And it's it's really amazing. You know, I lived in America for 24, 26 years, sorry. And I used to say to people in America, they were shocked that so many of my friends are still married, not divorced, still oh. married, but not only married, but still really like their partner and their relationship has grown. And I get that sense from you, but oh, you're yeah. also very close years. friends. Mm. 50 years this August. Wow, that's... And we, um, we've grown closer through the years because when he was working, it's hard, you know, with working nights and working nine to five or nine, nine to nine was more his... Um, and then being called out at night. So in retirement... And through the years with our, with my music, and he loves the blues. He's, he takes me. I wouldn't know how to get to half these places. Tell me about what about your singing career and how you <laughs> launched it when you were finally able to and what you're doing with it. Well, I launched it for my love. That was the love of my life too, the singing and entertaining in front, in front of a microphone, in front of an audience. And I didn't tell anyone about it. I, I went out of the Jewish community for it, to be honest, because um, I wanted my own space 
And a lot of people said, oh, I didn't know you sang. I said, well, those that, that went to Princess Hill with me knew I was in every show and I sang. But afterwards, I just went into the, what I call the real world. They wanted to see if I'd be accepted. And um, I was. I was asked, you know, can you come up on stage? And even right through all these years, can you sing? Can you give us three numbers with the band? And I do it three times a week. I go to different um, places to do it. And I even fit in karaoke. People, laugh, people laugh at karaoke, but I go with my brother David, who loves karaoke, and it gives us quality time singing again with the singing together. Wherever he wants to go, wherever new club he finds, I'll go with him. Do you? Does he still sing in synagogue? No, no. That that was more of my brother Evan Ted that sang with my father in the Stiebel and in the East Melbourne Shore all those years ago with the Hudson. Yes, the East Melbourne Shul is still thriving. And that was, I can't remember the Hudson's name, but he said to my brother Zevon Chip, I'd love you to promise me for one year you'll come every week to sing with us. And they did. How so wonderful. That was, but my brother David isn't, um, we used to harmonise with, with Zevon Ted, but it wasn't our love. I have to say. Well, if it's passed on to the grandkids as well, it's definitely a genetic, genetic. thing. The singing, absolutely. My uncles were in, the, in Canada, were in the Jewish theatre. My father's two brothers, my cousin Evelyn in, in Canada, sent me a, a lovely letter saying, oh, you're keeping up the Eisenstrasse family tradition of being in theatre, being in shows. And she said, my two uncles, your father's brother, brothers were in the Jewish theatre singing and acting. So it's never too late it's to follow. Ne never too late. I, di I did it after I raised my two girls and I said this is my time. I put into them, now it's me, now it's me. And I haven't looked back. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And your, um, your mother, you were saying, was also one of 11? My mother had 11 sisters and one brother. They kept having children, but it was from two marriages. Her father's first wife passed away and left him with about six kids. And then when he married my grandmother, he then had another five or six kids with her. So being an only child, I have to ask you, what's it like having so many kids in the family? That's fantastic. Yontavs and Shabbats were the best times ever. Did you ever just want to be alone or? Never, I'm not that kind. I'm, the bigger, the more people, the more I like it. And did you have your favorite aunties and uncles or your I more favorite siblings? I didn't have aunties siblings? and uncles. Oh, because? Because they were in America. America. Right. And uh, we didn't have anyone here. So, and you, just all your brothers rallied around yes, you and were? Yes, and nephews and nieces and great, the great nephews and great nieces. And they're all adorable. I love them all. So now that you've got more time, you seem so busy. I met you because we I joined a Yiddish conversation yeah. group and there you were. So that's something that I've done. Is to, Tell me about the Yiddish in your life and some oh, of the other things that... The Yiddish get... in my life is very important because that's what I... My mother didn't speak English. And when I... She's been gone now 26 years, my mother. So there's words we forget. And when 
this group came up, I said, please take me, because <laughs> we all speak a different Yiddish. You know, Mama used to speak Kum Dor, Busmas Tu, and at Princess Hill was Kim Dor. And, and for uh, me, it's Kim Ahea. Kim Ahea. So <laughs> we had, um, at the Yiddish group, this one spoke like this, and it was and one like my mother's um, Yiddish, and it's wonderful. And Yiddish is the funniest language. You cannot explain in English the words that you can express the comical. It's a very happy, comical language. Jewish comedians are hilarious. Yes. We also have... <laughs> you know, the sorrowing songs, you know, the Holocaust songs, yes. which is very toyedic and sad, but the comical part of Yiddish is what I love and the humour of Jewish Yiddish humour. Well, you know, Jackie Mason comes to mind first of all. Absolutely. The rabbi that became a comedian. Yes, and then yeah. we've got a couple in our community here in Melbourne as well, Robert, uh, Robert Wheel and... Um, was he a rabbi too? I didn't know. Um, not a rabbi so much, but he does stand up Jewish humour. Yeah. yeah. And there's another doctor who, uh, I think Jack... Dr. Jack Feldman. Jack Feldman yeah, he's also. He's very good. He's very good. I love the fact that we can just... We make... They make fun... Out of, of everything. Out of everything and Jews. And that's and we can pretty laugh much at a tradition. Other. We can Absolutely. laugh at ourselves. And that's the beauty of it. Nothing has to be too serious. And it's your choice to be a happy person or look at the dark side of life. Absolutely. I choose the sunny side of life. Always. <laughs> um, Sarah, I want to ask you, uh, because some of the people listening are newly married or not quite married or about to, and then there are also people that have been in relationships and been married a long time, and talk to me about how, what it was like when you first met your husband and how the relationship changed and grew. Like when you had, when you started having kids, when you, I mean, if, if he wasn't able to find a job as an engineer and went to study medicine, there were probably some trying times around then um, as well. How does you, how do, you know, love when you're young is wonderful. But how does it develop and how do you keep it together? Well, I think you keep it together by letting each other talk and see how you feel. And then compromising to things. Because I, I wanted to go and do sociology and he said, well, we can't both study if we've got two kids. And um, I chose medicine was the future. I wouldn't be earning. It became dollars and cents. You know, I wouldn't be earning as much doing that. And it was just... I change from one thing to the other as the wind blows. I fall in love with things. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he went on to do that and I went to earn the money to support so the family. What, what did you find with your husband in his characteristics and what was it about him that you that grew with your relationship? Oh, easy. His kindness. He was the kindest, gentlest man. It wasn't easy because he had his, um, the, what he wanted, but in amongst the family and the children and for me, you couldn't find a kinder man. Maybe his father. His father was the kindest man I've ever met too. I worked with him and he was a, always a gentleman. Wow. And always a gentleman. And my husband's like that. 
And to know that from a very young age is is interesting too. I had too. to grow up fast. I lost a father at eight. Yes. I had to have my eyes open and see a lot of sadness and a lot of goodness come out of my brothers mm. taking over. So I knew what was good and what was hard and I lived the hard life without money till we, till we, we had mortgages and mm. my brothers just took over my dad's mortgages, everything. So then I met my father-in-law who was an absolute angel, Max Odell, angel. And my mother-in-law was too. Also, three and a half years in Auschwitz, I had to deal with certain emotions. But kind, kind and loving was just incredible. That's one of the other yeah. huge things with Lily High on Life. Be kind, kind, smile a little more, and always come from love. Absolutely. So you mentioned one of your daughters is more like you and one is more yeah. like your husband. <laughs> well... My youngest daughter, Amy, is very is the blonde, blue-eyed, um, very much my personality. When I say something, she'll finish off my sentence and I can finish off her sentence. And um, she's like Joan Rivers in comedy. She's like a comedian. Natural, just natural, funny. Does she do it? Stand no, up? no, she doesn't Does do anything. No, she... Be, she, she studied commerce degree, then went into a corporate recruiting oh. business and had three children with a laptop on <laughs> her lap, breastfeeding, you know, in business, doing yep. what she had to do, you know, and um, she's an incredible mother. So what are her main characteristics that you admire? She's sunshine. She's sunshine. She looks at the bright side of things and um, she's a, work, a worker. She's not spoiled. I, I did spoil them. I gave them practically everything. But she had work ethic, she studied, and then she worked. She didn't say, oh, mum and dad can give it to you. She went out and said, I will earn it. And at 16, she worked at Jump for Jackie, selling dresses, washing the floors for Jackie Interact there. She did yep. everything. It, nothing was beneath her. She wanted to earn her own money. And so I absolutely value the fact that she was a little go-getter, went from one job to another, another. and degree, and she did it all. And, and I helped her. She put a PhD cap on me and because I helped her, <laughs> pushed her a little bit to study. She said, Mum, you deserve this. So she knows where to give you the gratitude and, and she's absolutely adorably loving. And she sounds like she also took on your relationship with your mother as well. Oh, they both boobers were in the house at my place practically every day when I lived in Caulfield. And they have a lot of goodness from their bo from Nana and Booba. The kindness and the caringness. And the other daughter? Oh, she's my That's little like genius. Your, she's <laughs> your husband? Genius like my husband. She's got a master's in art, master's in law. She's working also the same work ethic. Doesn't ask for anything. I have to push uh, both my girls to give them something they don't want it. We'll earn it. We'll do it. More strong-willed? Very strong girls. Very powerful girls. And um, she's like my husband because my husband's a hard worker too and very bright, almost genius level, I would say, my husband. Is. But all kind and caring and not spoiled, even though I did spoil them. I have to say I did. But um, they, they're not spoiled girls. They're very kind to everyone 
very considerate, loving, unbelievably good granddaughters. What more could you want? Yeah, they were in so terms good to characteristics. the characteristics. Yeah. yeah. And did you go through any times where, I mean, everybody has fights and disagreements, but did you go through any times with your husband where you just got sick of him and thought, no, this is, you know, God? No, no, I didn't. My never thing, went through a my, time. My thing was he was such a good father and I lost my dad at such yes. a young age. And when I looked at his nurturing, he never hit them, he never screamed at them. He might have ignored them in time when he was doing projects, but there was such a wonderful relationship and, and quality time to take him to museums and art galleries and take him through. So I valued all that. And the fact that if he didn't want to socialise was our biggest thing. He was tired. I don't want to socialise. I want to go out. I understood the hours he worked. So it was really um, love that grew and respect. Respect and respect. love and the kindness of him. He's, he's such and a kind man. And when you keep man. saying kindness, it really sounds like a reciprocation of the love and the respect. Well, I never saw... Uh, Except for my brothers being so kind in the family and loving, I, I don't think I've ever heard a lot of my girlfriends say that about their partners or husbands. Which is also one of the reasons that I'm sort of pushing in on it a bit because in America, definitely, you don't have relationships like that. Here in Australia, I've got a handful of friends who very much had um, that kind of relationship and still have with their husbands... Their family life was different because being Holocaust of coming from mm, Holocaust yeah. survivors, there are all kinds. I mean, the love's always there, but it doesn't always manifest as joy and kindness. It, but it, you still feel the love. But with a husband and wife, somebody that you've chosen to spend your life with, the fact that you have kept a strong respect and love while you were raising your family is not that common. It's not as common as it should be. I'm yes. blessed to have half a dozen friends with those kinds of relationships. Well, I think people mightn't see it. Some people look on the outside thinking, this one's got a better marriage, this one's happier, looks happier than me. They don't know what's behind the wall or the it's facade. True. So people, I don't look what's on the other side. My mother always taught me, Look in your own plate in Yiddish, kick bazach and teller. Yes. And not what somebody else has got. She said, there'll always be someone richer, someone smarter. There's always someone that's going to have more than you. You, she always taught us, be happy with what you've got. Try mm -hmm. your best in the world to get what you want, you know, for yourself, but don't jump to someone else's children. Or assume anything yeah. about anybody well, else. That's right. Because you really don't know where they're coming from. And on, on a more cynical level, it was the only people who are truly happy are the people you don't know that well. As in, not that they're not happy, happy. but everybody's got their own problems, their own sorrows. We all have, like, you know, people dying, people getting sick. We suffer, I suffered knowing my dad was dying as a little girl didn't understand what death was, but I knew he was going away. And that was terrible. And then, you know, um, I grew up and my mother was sick and I was frightened of losing her. And then I did. At 40, I lost my mother. And then um, 
you know, Thank one... Thank God you had it till you were four. Yeah, I was lucky to have a, you know... And then my brother became sick with lung cancer, my middle brother. So I was with him every day. We just, every single day until he died, 16 months of lung cancer, every day. And he was singing songs, reminding me of commercials, you know, <laughs> like something about a Marshall battery. And he was going, <laughs> he remembered all these commercials. And this is a man that's had months to live. So it's in, so his state of mind, mind. Oh. stayed positive. Yeah. And we sang, he sang Yiddish songs to me that my dad used to sing. Oh, wow. And he remembered the words, which I don't remember the words. And Zeb remembered the words. Okay. And then I had, 10 years later, my brother Ted. So again, with him too, um, I just wanted to spend every day with him too. It doesn't get easier. It doesn't. We all have sadness, but, you know, they're in your heart. You carry them in your heart and you don't forget them. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the... You've, you've had so many losses that you've... A lot, yeah. And you've been there for them while they've been going through and so you've had the time to reconcile that they will be gone. And when they're actually gone, how do you... How do you deal with that in terms of it allowing you to still be as wonderful and positive as what you are? Is, is it a day? Is it the shiver week? Is it a month? What is it with those really strong losses? How do you recover enough to make your life good? Well, I sat home for a month. The month, um, like the Jewish um, book tells you, how I read the, the rabbi gave me a book, how to deal with the loss of the loved one and that the soul is in Gnaven, which is the soul is in heaven. I chose to believe that, that their souls are floating around, that my brother Vremel, my, you know, my father, you know, Ted Zev, my mother, they're all together. And the three, two other brothers that I didn't know that died as babies, they're all together as a family. And when my brother Ted was dying, I said, wait for me, keep a place for me. And in, on his deathbed, he got my brother David to sing to him and me, It's My Way by Frank Sinatra. And this was literally on his deathbed. So, and he said, live for me, don't stop singing. Just because I'm going, I'll be there watching you sing and do all the fun things. So mm. you look the things that you can accept. This is how I chose to accept their death, that they're there waiting for me and um, I'm going to live the best life I can. And you t did, did take that month to just mourn? One month I cried my, my heart out. I indulged myself to the point where um, I don't think I had any more tears left. So what else do you still want to do that you haven't done? Oh... <laughs> I'm, I'm so lucky. I think I've lived and travelled and done so much. I just want to enjoy with my children and my friends all the fun times to come. I'm looking forward to the fun times in the future. Tell me what the word nachas means to you. Nachas means that when I have my family around me and the love that we cherish for one another, I feel so lucky. That's my nachas that we all love each other. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. I 
really, really appreciate you sharing the way you've lived your life, sharing some really intimate moments with us. And um, I know that it's something that people are going to need to hear when they hear this interview. So it's been delightful. I don't, I haven't known you that long, but I'm looking forward to knowing you for a very long time and singing with you as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you.